I am going to talk a little bit about politics this morning. And um, only, and I want to just put this disclaimer out, only because something in our nation has happened that takes the whole issue of politics and drags it smack dab into the middle of the battle of the Lord. And God has done something that's beyond personalities and beyond political parties, but it involves seeing His hand moving in our nation. And it's important that you understand what has happened and what it means for God's people this morning. And the Lord directed me a, a few months ago to this story in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And I'm going to read from verse 1 down to several, several of these verses um, as best you can try to follow. You might need to scoot up. But what I'm going to read to you is an event that took place, you're familiar with it, um, that took place in the Old Testament um, hundreds, couple thousand and hundreds of years ago. But it is exactly the same thing involving the same principles that have happened to us recently in our nation. For those that have ears to hear and eyes to see, they can hear and they can see it. Second Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 1. And I better make sure my clicker's working. I'm in charge. Okay, here we go. I love having the power in my hand. Hallelujah. Verse 1. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites and some of them of the Munites came against Jehoshaphat, who was king of Judah, for battle. Now some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom and from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Engedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Hmm. Okay. Right then, my little thing stopped working. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm... <laughs> Oh, I'm looking at my tablet thinking, I'm trying to get this thing to move. <laughs> I'm going to just pause for just a moment. Regain my composure. I was so serious, too. This kind of stuff always happens, you know, when you're just... This morning, Kathy and I are getting coffee, and it was still dark outside. And um, the back... The, uh, the back of our house is all glassed in, so you kind of see the yard, but the reflection, so it was light in the kitchen reflecting on the glass. I looked up for a moment from my coffee, and I looked out in the backyard, and Kathy's reflection from her standing beside me was out there. I said, who's that woman in the backyard? <laughs> that should have been a sign right then and there that I need to really pay attention this morning. Okay. And, uh, all right, here we go. Continuing on with verse 5, And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. So they, they went to church, man. They all got in the house of the Lord. Verse 6, And they said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven and rule over the kingdoms of the nations? 
In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? I love the way they, they ticked all the boxes. We're the descendants of Abraham, your buddy. Did you not give Abraham and his descendants this land? Just follow what's going on here. They're talking to God and they're reminding him of the covenant. And they have lived, and he's, Jehoshaphat's continuing this dialogue before the Lord with all Israel standing there. And they have lived, your descendants, in this land and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, now listen to this, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you. For your name is in this house, and we will cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord and their little ones and wives and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jeel, the son of Mathaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, Thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid, and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the cliffs of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, remember that, set yourselves, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them. The Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the Kohathites and the Korites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and they went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and he said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. 
And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went out before the army and sang, Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise the Lord, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come out against Judah so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. And when Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked towards the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Last year, a couple of months ago, we witnessed the hand of God moving in our culture, in our society, in our nation. I don't know how many of you have taken the time to sift through the events of the election and what happened, but it defies any form of logic. It defies any reasonable analysis. It has left the absolute best of the pundits and researchers and analysts saying they're going to be studying this election for generations to come. Because of all the firsts that took place. The fact that the nation, I'm, I'm sure the presses of certain, I think Time Magazine, couple already had the results all printed, all ready to go. We're stunned to wake up on Wednesday the 9th to find out that Donald Trump won the election. They couldn't believe it. Even Trump supporters and voters couldn't believe that he won. It was amazing and stunning. God wants us to understand what happened. How many of you remember that God is not into exalting people? In fact, he uses the foolish to confound the wise. When the Lord wants to do something, if you think you're special because he picked you, think again. <laughs> this contest was not about Trump versus Clinton. And I'm not up here to preach Trump versus Clinton. I'm not up here to make that comparison except to show the forces behind each one of them and those forces, how they came to clash and what God did. But the fact is, this contest was about Jehovah Shammah versus the Tower of Babel. Jehovah Shammah, very briefly, I preached a message about a month ago. Jehovah Shammah was the term that Ezekiel used at the very last verse of the book of Ezekiel when he has his final vision and he sees a city 
that is filled with God's people and God himself living in that city, his people and him together. And listen, the prophet of the Lord, Ezekiel, had spent a lifetime looking for God in the temple, looking for God among the Levites, looking for God among the priests, looking for God among his people, and saw throughout his whole life compromise and little signs that the Lord exists, but not abiding. And when he saw that vision and he saw God in the city, he said, it's Jehovah Shammah, which means the Lord is there. And the word there is also used for the city. He is there in that city. He was amazed. He was excited because he saw God is going to have the final act in history and he himself is going to come down and dwell with his people in something that could only be described as a city that the Lord is there. That's what the term Jehovah Shammah meant. And what he saw was exactly what John the Apostle saw when he was caught up in the book of Revelation. And at the last vision he had, he saw what he described as the New Jerusalem. He couldn't put a term to it. He said the city of God, the New Jerusalem, and he called it the bride of Christ coming down out of heaven. And it was the Lord God and us combined together in this bond of love and dwelling forever. And so he called it the city of God. He saw Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. And those prophets said, there's God. That's God. When people acknowledge that they were derived from the Lord who created them and they seek him to dwell with him, that is where the Lord is. That's where God is. Jehovah Shammah. That is the final projection of humanity with, it, with our God reunited in fellowship with Him. And it's glorious. Hallelujah. But this election was about Jehovah Shammah, the concept of the city being established because the Lord is in the midst of it and His people that are in that city are honoring Him and worshiping Him and acknowledging Him as the only true wise God. Can you say amen? amen. It's God creating Adam and Eve in the garden and saying you can have complete liberty. Take dominion. This is your place. Just don't eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil for in the day that you do, dying you will die. And along comes the devil and says... God wasn't really straight with you. You don't need God to be all that. You don't need God to rise up to be great. God really didn't mean don't eat of the tree because God himself knows that if you take that knowledge, you'll be great without God. You'll be like God yourself. Well, they already were like God. They were made in the image of likeness. Have you ever noticed that the devil comes and lies to you about stuff you already have? Oh, if you just do this, you'll really be happy. Wait a minute. I've got the joy of the Lord. What do you mean? I am happy. Hallelujah. He'll come and say to you, oh, if you do this, I'll prosper you. But God says you're already prosperous. You've got more than enough. Hallelujah. He always lies to you while he's stealing what you already have, promising it back to you. And so this was Jehovah Shammah in this election up against the Tower of Babel. Now, what is the Tower of Babel? When Eve came out of the garden, she came out with that lie lodged in her soul. Has God said? The Lord knows that I can be great without God. I don't need God. I myself can be great with the knowledge that I get from this tree. And she passed that on to successive generations until the first 
prophet of humanism arose and he took that lie, his name was Nimrod, and he formed a great city whose purpose was to create a government that would rule and control men and bring them together with the one aim that they would all rise up and build this tower and ascend up to their potential apart from God. You don't need God. The Tower of Babel was all about that lie that humans, apart from God, have the ability to ascend up and be great. They could progress upwards. And so that is essentially the Tower of Babel. And for thousands of years, that lie has continued to be refined throughout history. And in recent years in our nation, We've certainly not been a perfect nation. We have had our dark moments. We have had our moments of hypocrisy. We have been less than perfect, just like every Christian in every church I know. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. It wasn't our perfect religion that saved us. It was God's grace, acknowledging that He is the Lord. And it wasn't imposing the law that says you have to be perfect, but it was acknowledging God gave that law. And there is a up and there is a down. There's a right, there's a wrong, there's an in and there's an out. Somebody say amen. amen. So it's not making sure that you never deviate from those standards, but it's acknowledging that those standards exist because there is a God who has a say so. And you'll be your best and you'll know who you are. And you'll come into your purpose by relating with Him and His grace will help you. But the Tower of Babel was about rejecting all of that and saying we will ascend up and become great. This was the earliest, as we have it in the Bible, formation of the false religion of humanism. The development of humanity without God. And humanism is the height of idolatry. The first commandment, you shall worship the Lord your God, Him only shall you serve. The very first commandment is assaulted and violated through the religion of secular humanism. And so humanism is the height of idolatry. Socialism, which when allowed to develop, becomes communism. Socialism is the political application of humanism. If you want to know, well, what's socialism? Why is socialism so bad? Because socialism is rooted in humanism. It is rooted in the belief you don't need God. You have goodness within yourself. You, we just have to develop it. But socialism is based on the concept that man must create a tyrannical government that rules and maintains order in order to bring people together to rise up and build that tower. I probably didn't need to say it, but most of you probably realize what happened to the Tower of Babel. Yeah. yeah, God said enough of that and scattered them and they were not able to communicate. Just in one moment, the Bible says God came down, boom, and those that were so organized under that government were now divided and they couldn't even communicate anymore. Sounds like November 9th to me. Can you say amen? Praise the Lord. In recent years... Humanism and socialism has taken over the great Democrat party. And along with the media, academic elites, Hollywood celebrities, they are rebuilding the Tower of Babel in our time. They call it progressivism. 
because they want to uproot the influence of traditional Christianity in America and replace it with the worship of people and dependence upon socialist government. Now, the building of the Tower of Babel, the political building of the Tower of Babel has been going on for years. And the Democrat Party has incrementally been morphing as more and more of its leaders have come in under the control of that spirit of Antichrist. The Democrat Party has been out of the closet, to use a modern term, with their war against Christians and against Christianity. There is an out-in-the-open war against Christianity. And last year, true evangelical Christians felt it in this nation. The people of God have felt diminished and pushed down. Your voice is not wanted in the public square. We don't want to hear you in our courts. We don't want to see you on TV. We don't want to hear you. You certainly can't speak in our schools. We don't want you influencing any of the highways and byways, any of the institutions of our land. You're out. Once the voice of reason, the voice of vision in this nation came from men and women who at least acknowledged that God's word is truth. And they didn't base that on their perfection or their personal holiness. These were men and women who made plenty of mistakes and fell short. But they saw that God is perfect. We don't need to progress to something. God is already there. We just need to get back to Him. Can you say amen? So there has been a war on Christianity, and I've, I've selected a few pictures. I'm not going to camp out and, and beat this with a, with a hammer, but I just want you to sort of see what happened this year. But as you look at some of these, some of these pictures, some of these signs, this is the sentiment. This picture is taken from a riot, uh, demonstrations in Chicago, and they were demonstrations uh, for pro-abortion rights and demonstration for gay activism. And can I just say for the record right here, Christians don't stand against homosexuality. We don't need to stand against homosexuality. We don't stand against lying and cheating. We don't stand against fornication. We don't have to. God's already said what is right and what is sin. He's already said it. We're not standing against anything. We are standing for the forgiveness that is through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you cannot win the game by deciding that because you're not getting close to God, you're just going to change the rules. You don't decide, well, I'm not, this football stinks, so I'm going to change, we're going to all of a sudden change the shape of the field and we'll use baseball rules. And so at any rate, listen to what, or take a look at what the sign says. Life begins when you stand up to or stand up against Christian fascists. I put that up there because... The sentiment that has crept into the Democrat Party is that their enemy is the evangelical church. The Christians who traditionally have influenced America, they don't believe that they can progress forward with their agenda until they get Christianity out of the way. You can stay in your churches, but stay there. Don't come out into the public life. And their attitude is Christianity is fascism. It is oppression. You can see them, and this is just one of several Examples throughout our nation over the years where the Ten Commandments were removed from courthouse walls and from public places throughout towns and cities. This one I thought was particularly precious. Um, at, a gay, at, a, at a homosexual rights 
rally, which really is not a matter of, it's not about homosexual rights. It's about revising the moral code and standards taught in our education system and our laws to change the mind and mentality about people that God said, male and female, I have created them. Let them, uh, yeah, multiply and procreate. And he didn't say anything else about any other kinds of arrangements. So, um, it's, again, it's not, being against, it's not being against homosexuality. What it is, it's saying you can't take the word of God, rip it up, change it, and say you want to progress to something different. That's Eve talking. That's Eve believing the lie of the devil. So our Constitution is a shield against Bible-based discrimination against our gay friends and neighbors. There's the mentality. There's the outlook. They are the ones who say, you people are the enemy. Your beliefs are the object of our battle, our war, and our conflict. Somebody say, praise the Lord, if you know what I'm talking about. The building of the Tower of Babel, this has been going on for years, is that the, that, politi- that particular political party has slowly been evolving. And then in recent past couple of years, it's just been kind of, It's just been out of the closet and off the rails and just flying ahead and making tremendous progress legally in the area of education, the area of politics, certainly in the media. And um, they've been moving ahead in changing all of the boundary markers that have traditionally set concepts for morality. Yet Ephesians 5, 6 says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, God's wrath comes on the sons of disobedience. Now, the Lord didn't say to the church, I want you to go out and I want you to shame those people. I want you to preach against them. No, he never said that. I want you to go out and I want you to condemn them. He just simply said, don't let them deceive you. Because of these activities, abortion is a civil right. I mean, you just have to absorb it for a moment and think about the mentality behind a comment like that. Thou shalt not murder. Abortion is a civil right. To elevate the rights of one group in society at the expense of taking away all the rights of another is just typified in these kind of sentiments. Climate change, I don't even want to get onto it, but the new religion of humanism is we have to save the world. I mean, we've got a Bible that tells us, don't worry about saving the world, God's got it. It's his planet, you couldn't destroy it if you wanted to. But that is the new battering ram that they're able to use to oppress and to beat down businesses and subjugate people and extract millions and billions of dollars out of the public, out of industry, and out of private life, all in the name of a storm that's never going to come. And of a problem, I mean, I've been living with seasons for 63 years. The weather's changed all my life, and the world hasn't collapsed on itself yet, and it's not going to. But we see the politics of perverse morality. Rather than focusing on the true issues of morality, the Democrat Party has been co-opted and taken over by utter insanity and foolishness. The radical fringes have taken control. Not every Democrat has these extreme views, but their party, the power of it, the money behind it, the influence of it, has been taken over 
by these radical groups. I grew up in a home. My father was a professional soldier all my life. Grew up in the military. And my dad was a proud Democrat when I grew up. Back in the 50s, back in the 60s, it was a little different. It said something a little different. And so that's what I figured we were until I got older and I began to see this move, this migration towards progressivism. Somebody say amen if you know what I'm talking about. The final, finally, one other issue, um, the building of the Tower of Babel, progressive liberalism, the politics of humanism, is that it has produced anarchy. Go into Detroit, go into any of our inner cities, Philadelphia, Chicago, um, uh, New York, L.A. New York's probably among one of the best, but any of our major metropolitan areas, and you can see anarchy. You can see areas of the city just cordoned off and given to those that are completely lawless without any effort being made because the politics of favoring special groups so that you're not uh, accused of being a racist or accused of, of uh, being homophobic or accused of, of being, um, um, oh, what's the word? I need my mind to work right now. Um, xenophobe. Phobic against uh, people of other cultures and things. For the fear of that, many of our cities have literally stepped back from maintaining peace and law and order and have given themselves and really exposed their citizens to the crime waves, the murder, the theft, the destruction, the demise, the injustice protecting their citizens from these things because of the lie of socialism. In Isaiah 59, it sums it up beautifully by saying, Justice is turned backwards, and righteousness stands far away, for truth has stumbled in the public squares, and righteousness cannot enter. The Lord watches and is displeased, for there is no justice. In 2016, the Lord was watching. He's been watching. We have been wondering, where is God? As more and more of our society has, has been going down the drain, we've been wondering, how come the church hasn't, doesn't have influence? Where is God? Where is Jehovah Shammah? Where is the presence of the Lord? There are millions and millions of Christians in this country. But we have seen, we have seen the lie of progressive liberalism making its way into the church and, and carving out huge swatches in the Christian church, dividing even the evangelical church as they embrace these, uh, embrace these false ideologies of morality and spirituality. And this was building throughout 2016. I know that the night that my granddaughter came to the house on November the 8th, the election, she had worked for the Trump campaign. And uh, she was coming over all excited. At, at, uh, she was almost 16 years old at the time. And uh, full of hope, full of expectation. She'd been to the rallies. You know, they had their effect on her and, uh, and everything. So she was, she was coming over. Iris was coming. And that day, I'm going to be honest with you, that day I just had a sinking feeling inside. I thought, oh boy, this is it. Because, and am I, am I telling the truth? No matter what TV station, no matter who you listen to, what newspaper you read, everywhere, the Republican Party is in total disarray. I didn't even need a commentator to tell me. They were all fighting among themselves right up into the day of the election. 
right after the election. They couldn't decide whether they wanted to support their own candidate. Trump was hanging out there by himself. The party, the party uh, uh, power elites had retreated. Matter of fact, many leading senators and uh, congressmen had let it be known that they're thinking seriously of either not voting or voting for Hillary Clinton. The fact is, and if you listen to the radio, the drumbeat had been going on for months. This is going to be a bloodbath. The Republican Party is going to be in total disarray. They're going to be in shambles. They were just like Jehoshaphat and his little group standing, shaking, saying, we don't know what to do. We, you know, I was hoping that as we entered the summer, maybe, maybe Trump is going to moderate his tone. Maybe he'll get off Twitter. And, and this new Trump is going to come forth and erudite and, and, you know, eloquent and, and conservative. And uh, he's going to pull the party together and it'll make sense. Then I could put a sticker on my car and not have to worry. Uh, you know, but it never happened. Right up to the end, it was utter chaos. And he just was on that Twitter thing, man, going at it and talking. But at any rate, Iris is coming over. And I honestly got in my bedroom about a half hour before she got to the house. And I got down on my face. I said, Lord, my job here tonight is to let my granddaughter down easy. Please, Lord, give me words. Give me something I can say to her. Because I had already seen how this is going to go. By 9, 10 o'clock, the bloodletting will be, all, it'll be a mess. The Republican Party will be bleeding out, dead. And everyone was saying, this will be the end of it. For the next 50 to 75 years, the Republican Party will be a servile group that will literally simply be the kind of right of center, uh, 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 fifth wheel of the Democrat regime. And it'll be over with. And I'll tell you, they, they built a tremendous case. Every Hollywood star, they're in their brilliance. We're making those comments, all the, all the politicians. And if you went to, quote, conservative outlooks like Fox News, allegedly, supposedly conservative, even their commentary was, uh, I mean, he has no chance. And they'd bring the brilliant people on. You know, what's his name from uh, the, the Bush, um, not Dick Cheney, but um, Carl Rove. I mean, Carl Rove and all of his brilliance. The genius was on there, I mean, week after week, talking about, well, and he'd get his little whiteboard out, and he'd say, you see this and this and this, it's over with. He has no way, there's no path to success. So the drumbeat was just like a chorus, a hallelujah chorus coming from the progressive left. It's over, it's over, it's over. So I'm thinking, how do I let my granddaughter down easy? And then God comes down and the tower falls. The Tower of Babel just crumbles. And the next morning we wake up and it's not just that Trump has won. He has single-handedly destroyed the two most powerful families in the Democrat movement. The Obamas and the Clintons are never going to recover. Their power's been taken away. They can... They can go to all the media outlets and be, go on all the shows, but they have nothing left. And they're about to have all of their work over the past eight years undone. And they have destroyed 
the Democrat Party. The Clintons and the Obamas have destroyed the Democrat Party with their policies because they have pursued humanism and socialism. And when they did, they ran right into Ezekiel chapter 44, verse 12. But they encouraged my people to worship idols, causing Israel to fall into deep sin. So I have taken a solemn oath that they must bear the consequences for their sins, says the Sovereign Lord. And the consequences for their sin was to lose the thing they wanted, political power. The reason this happened is because, like Jehoshaphat, God's people, with knees shaking and faint of heart, went into the house of God and began to pray and began to call on the Lord. We don't know what to do. We are about to become like the persecuted church in other countries that has to hide out and lose its voice. And where is all this going to end up? And before I, I'm going to spend the, the second half of my time sharing back through the scriptures exactly the steps they took and how God moved and what this means for us today, standing January 1st, looking at a new year. What is God doing? I have to say, though, when Babylon, when the Tower of Babel fell, and it's not completely dismantled, but it started to crumble in a big way on November 9th, it is obvious that God did that. The, the Republican Party did not beat the Democrat Party. The Republican Party wasn't even agreed that their candidate was their candidate. So there was, there was, no, there was no human explanation for this. Yet it was the worst political loss in nearly a hundred years in America. On the morning of Wednesday the 9th, America awoke to the shocking loss of a, a decimated Democrat Party. And just quickly, just so that you get a sense, because you remember Mount Seir, Ammonites, Moabites, they turned on one another, they wiped each other out. By the time the praisers of the army got there, they didn't have to fight a bit. They had wiped themselves out. It's exactly what happened. How does that happen? The only time that ever happens is when God shows up on the battlefield. He says, you're not going to have to fight. You just get on your face, come before me, and then go out and praise my name before the enemy, and I will take care of this. The Democrats lose 1,000, over 1,000, I think it was 1,040-something, over 1,000 state and federal elected seats under Obama and in this last election. Over 1,000 they lost. The Democrats lost 16% of their control over the Senate and went from 55 down to 46 seats. They lose 24% of the House of Representatives from 256 down to 194. Democrat governors, Democrat governors in America, they lose 43% of the states where there were Democrat, 40, nearly 50% from 28 Democrat governors down to 16. Absolutely amazing. And finally, state legislatures like the state of Florida, for example, and other states across the nation where the Democrats controlled the state legislatures, the state legislatures controlled by Democrats plunge 48% from 27 states down to 14 states. Now, 
When we are threatened, and I remember how I felt, um, and I probably should just open my heart and share this with you a little bit because I, I think we need to kind of connect because you may have been feeling this way too. On the 8th, the night of that election during the day, I really felt like we were a church in exile. I felt like the body of Christ, aside from the mega churches and the TV programs and all this stuff, we were still a church in exile. Nothing we could do was bringing us back into prominence in our country and in our culture. We were on our way out, and we were losing and bleeding influence and bleeding credit like crazy. The church was dying in America. Maybe not within our own little gatherings, but so far as a national impacting influence, we were losing. Humanism was like a great big bear just tearing this country apart and taking whatever it wanted. So what did we do? We went in prayer, just like Jehoshaphat did, before the Lord. And when I prayed in leading up to this election, I said, Lord, how do you want me to pray about this? And I really felt like the Lord said, this is going to come down to finding out, are there enough Christians left in America that care that I have a covenant with this country? That long before there were humanists, long before all of the stuff you're wrestling with today, the shores of this nation were sanctified by people that made a covenant with God, and God entered into that covenant with them. And in spite of, as I said, our failures, our faux pas and mistakes over the years, God, just like He was faithful to Israel, has been faithful. But we've come down to the point where we need to find out, has every Christian given up on holding on to that covenant and standing, set yourself and hold your ground? Standing and holding on to that covenant, or do they no longer care? Had they given in and given up to the enemy? And I knew that the outcome of this election would signify one of two things. Either God no longer cares about what happens to America, or God does still care. It's going to be one, or it's going to be the other. It's that clear the battle has come down to that. Well, at 3.30 in the morning, hallelujah, on November the 9th, the Holy Spirit blew into this country and He breathed new life into millions of dreams and millions of visions. I felt that dilapidated visions and dilapidated goals had re-inflated with the possible power of faith. God was with us. The Lord is here. The Lord is moving. Look, the Lord went and did this. I was amazed. I said, look, God has done this. Can you say amen? amen. They went into the sanctuary in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 3. Jehoshaphat was afraid and he set his face. To, he was in fear. He was in real fear. They were about to be wiped out. And the Bible says he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Jehovah Shammah, are you still here? Do you still care? The Lord answered that question. Through this, the election wasn't about Donald Trump. Donald Trump is simply the foolish being used to confound the wise. In their wisdom, all of the elite professors in the academic towers of Yale and Harvard and Princeton and all the universities and all of the brilliant minds of Hollywood and all the politicians and all of their brilliance and wisdom have given us the nonsense 
and the wickedness that we saw represented in those pictures before. The insanity of a culture that's turned itself inside out and can't run away from God fast enough into the arms of the devil. And in all of their wisdom, God said it's time to make their wisdom foolishness. And so that big, blonde, moppy-headed, non-political genius <laughs> with his Twitter phone, God raised up because he had one thing. He had one thing. He had a heart like a lion. The man is not afraid. And fortunately, whatever things you might feel he has right or has wrong, the one thing he has right is he does believe that this country belongs to God. And he believes in the things and the values that biblically are rooted in this country. And when he said, we're going to make America great again, he wasn't talking like the people of the left is, yes, we're going to go back to the days of racism, or we're going to go back to, I mean, who in the world really thinks that? A couple of fringe nuts out there, perhaps. But no, he was talking about bringing us back to the foundation of faith in God. And the blessing that it puts in the hearts of men and women so they can prosper and make a good life for their families. So aside from what you think about him, this wasn't about him. This is about God using the foolish to confound the wise. Jehoshaphat, God is people. They went into the house of God and they took refuge in the covenant. It says in verse 6 and 7 that they said before the Lord, O Lord of our fathers, are you not God in heaven and rule over the kingdoms of the nations? Well, I guess so. Hallelujah. Because right at the moment they take their best shot and, you know, they were licking their chops. They, this was going to be it. They were going to take over the Supreme Court, everything. And within a few hours, what happened? Their whole world was blown to smithereens. Hopes dashed. God stepped in. Why? Because, Lord, you have power over the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are not power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Once the Lord stepped into this, they couldn't withstand him. There was nothing they could do. Did you not, O oh God, drive out the inhabitants of this land to give it to your people and to give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And the answer was a great big yes. Can you say amen? amen. And, you know, notice that when the enemies came into the land, Jehoshaphat and his people, they didn't run into their houses and bolt their door. They all came together and ran into the house of God. They took refuge in worship. The Bible says, and they said, Lord, we have built a sanctuary for your name, and we're taking refuge in the name of Jesus. We're coming in before you. We believe that your name is over all of these names. Now, the next verse in verse 9 has a surprising element. Listen to this. They're praying, and they speak to the Lord, and they say, If disaster comes upon us, the sword... Thank you, that's where we're at, verse 9. If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before you in this house. We will stand before you, for your name is in this house, and we'll cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. I was reading that list, it took me like two or three times, and all of a sudden, the word judgment came out. If disaster comes upon us, sword, pestilence, wait a minute, judgment? They said, even if we fall under the judgment of God, 
because we've done wrong and we're being punished, we'll still run into this house and you will hear us and you will forgive. You know, I think a lot of Christians begin to say, you know, the church has failed. The church has failed to make a stand. We have brought this upon ourselves and just fold up their tent and walk away. But even if that's true, they said, we're going to go to the house of the Lord. We're going to call in our affliction out on the Lord. He will turn us around. Because, you know, the Lord will show more favor to a broken, penitent child of His who knows they've blown it and brought judgment on themselves. He'll hearken to that one more than a million who shake their fist at God and say, we've built the Tower of Babel and there's nothing you can do about it. God holds all the cards, to use an expression. Praise the Lord. This next thing also really surprised me in verse 10 and 11. When they lay out their case before God about the, the force that had come against them, they said something utterly amazing. See if you catch it. Jehoshaphat's praying and he says, And now, Lord, behold, these men from Ammon and from Moab and from Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, and whom Israel avoided and did not destroy. Look at how they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. What he is saying is, if you study your history, Moab and Ammon, when the children of Israel, the slaves of Egypt, came out and God delivered them and they entered into the land of Canaan, they were destroying every uh, the Hivites, the uh, Amorites, the Jebusites, all of them that were um, worshiping false gods and coming out against them. But the Lord told them to show mercy to the Moabites and the Ammonites. And they did not attack them. And they showed mercy to them. And they let them live. Years later, you would think the Ammonites and the Moabites would figure out well, we've been having it pretty good here in our land and we didn't get wiped out because the grace of God was upon these Jews. The grace of God was upon the people of Israel and so we have had the benefit of peace and prosperity because Israel did not come against us and we've been living under their blessing. And these who are rising up in America, if they don't want to acknowledge God, fine. If they want to practice immorality, fine, it's a free nation. You would think that they would figure out what side of the bread gets the butter. You would think they would figure out why they're even free. When in some nations they would be, have their heads cut off for the kind of behavior that they want to practice. You'd think they would realize that it's the grace of God and the love of a church that's following Jesus Christ that has brought blessings so that their freedoms can be in, experienced and, in, and enjoyed. But no. You know, the, Am the Ammonites and then the Moabites, they decide, well, you know what, they didn't wipe us out, but you know, we're going to go wipe them out. We're going to take their land. Big mistake. Because they went to God and said, God, you know how you wouldn't let us destroy them? And we've let them live here as our neighbors. Now look at what they're doing. God said, don't worry about it. This is my battle. See, God looked at America. He said, this is my battle. 
They have gone too far. If they want to sin, well, they'll have to stand before God one day about their lifestyles. Every person, all of us, will have to stand before God about the choices and the decisions we've made in our life. Those that have Jesus will have the blood to wash their sins away. The others are going to have to argue their case without the blood. But the point is that God said that when they made a decision to take your position away from you, the position God put you in by covenant in this nation, the church of Jesus Christ, to remove it from our courts, remove the gospel from our schools, remove the influence of Christians from our life, God said, they have asserted themselves into my battle. This is now not Democrat versus Republican. This is not Clinton versus Trump. This is the spirit of Antichrist versus the claims of God. And God didn't just sweep in. He said, are there intercessors? Are there enough Christians in this nation that care? And we got on our face and prayed. And they said it was the largest turnout of evangelical voters ever in history. So, you know, we didn't see it coming because we weren't talking to one another about it. We were afraid. We were like, I don't want my windows smashed. I don't want to get beat up walking down the street, you know, because I've got a Trump t-shirt on. And none of us, frankly, wanted to say, I'm a Trumpite. We are Jesus people. We're not about a man. We're about principles. Amen. So they were facing down overwhelming odds. They said, but our eyes are upon you. We don't know what to do. But all right, and let that just be a, a message to you this morning. When you don't know what to do, don't give in to the enemy. Just go before God. If you make your struggles his battle, this kind of stuff can happen. Can you say amen? So the final couple thoughts here are that God said to them, this is my battle. Don't fight, but go out. Now hear me. 2017. We're looking at the fact that God has defeated in a huge way. He's here. The Lord is standing. His feet are firmly planted on the soil of this country. He didn't just come down and say, I'm going to stop this election from going the way that they think it's going to go. He came down here to do a work. And he did a tremendous work. In a few minutes, he did what he was going to do. took them three days to collect the spoil. God wants to know if we're going to collect the spoil. God wants to know if we're going to move forward. God wants to know if we're going to recognize that He Himself has given us an incredible sign. He has stood up with His arm and He has done what no man could do. The reason they are completely confused about this is because they don't see God. They don't see Jesus. You're not going to see the CNN commentators get on and say, Jesus Christ did this. There's only one explanation. God did this. So instead, they've got to tweak it. Well, I don't know. He, I guess he got those coal miners and he encouraged them, and that must have been what did it. 200 counties that had previously voted blue in the last election went red. 200 counties flipped. It was absolutely stunning. Somebody say amen. Amen. He said, you don't have to fight this battle. Set yourself, hold your position. And I've come today to tell you, God is saying, set yourself like Jehoshaphat did. And don't back down. Hold your position. 
and then you will see the salvation of God. Jehoshaphat saw that great victory because he did what God said. He got the people together. They didn't stay home and say, well, the Lord's just going to magically work. He, the Lord said it's his battle, so we're just going to relax, and uh, Lord, you're going to let us know when it's over with. God said, oh, no, no, you go out. You face the enemy. You go out, and I will go with you, but you're going to watch me move. So set yourself. You know, the enemy is trying to tell us through the humanism and through the socialism that the people of America have rejected Christianity. They've rejected the biblical principles of free trade and of capitalism. And they have decided to turn to humanism and socialism. And they don't want to hear the gospel. They're not in the mood for it. They've been poisoned against it by their professors. Let me tell you something. They're still human. And they still have a need. The problem in them isn't the bad education. The problem in them is sin that needs to be forgiven. And God can open their eyes and they can hear the truth. Will you set yourself and will you be faithful to preach the gospel? Will you be faithful to represent a Jesus who's not out trying to conquer people? He was stopping the Lucifer from walking in in the spirit of Antichrist and taking over the nation. He's not interested in destroying people no matter how they voted. He is interested in saving the lost. He loves the world, not just some of the world, but all of the world. Can you say praise the, Lord? praise the Lord? Set yourself, hold your position, and then you will see the salvation of the Lord. Somebody say praise the Lord. They went out and they began to praise God. And I want to encourage you today that we need to do what we do. We need to do our thing. We need to, an about face, we need to reverse our outlook. We need to go from being meek to being bold. We need to go from being weak to being strong. We need to go from being timid and taking a view that the world that we're ministering to is antithetical to the gospel and they're not interested. And we need to see the Lord of souls. Ezekiel said, the souls are mine, says the Lord. And we need to see that God is working. And so with this thought, we're going to be called together to pray this morning. And that is, God is at work. Let's get to work with Him. Amen. This was not about the Lord influencing an election. This was about God answering the prayers of intercessors and saying, yes, I am still interested in your nation. I am still interested in your neighbors. I'm interested in your cities. I'm willing to transform a Detroit and turn it back into the jewel of America. I am just waiting to see churches and Christians who are willing to go into the land and love with the light of the gospel and see God move. People, the Lord is with us. The Lord is with us. And with us at Faith Christian Church, did he not tell us right while all this was happening through a dream and through a word that I want to double you by this time next year. I want, I have people that I want to bring that are hungry and you're going to have rooms that will, that will supply and bring peace and comfort to them. God is saying, go get them. Go get them. Go get them. I'm with you. Go get them. Can you say amen? amen. Stand with me.